Please stand for the reading of God's Word. We are in Galatians chapter 2. We'll be reading verses 1 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along with me. I went up because of a revelation that set and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles, in order to make sure I was not running or had not run in vain. But even Titus, who was with me, was not forced to be circumcised, though he was a Greek. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery, to them we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. Those, I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. On the contrary, when they saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who has worked... For he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, your word is open before us now. We pray that by your spirit you would help us to open our hearts before your word. Would you work through your word by the power of your spirit that we might uh, receive this word with joy? Lord, by your spirit, would you make our hearts receptive to the end that you would be glorified in our lives? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're continuing our series in uh, Galatians, and just as a reminder of where we've been, uh, Galatians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. The Apostle Paul had planted the churches in the region of Galatia, where uh, he was now writing. He He had planted those churches on his first missionary journey after he left, returned to Antioch, uh, there were a number of uh, false teachers who had gone in and began to teach that the gospel that Paul had been preaching to to them was not legitimate. Salvation, they were saying, is not, in fact, by grace through faith alone. You aren't saved by trusting what Jesus has done, by, by looking to the finished work of Christ alone. No, they said, there are things that you must do in order to be saved. Namely, you must keep the Jewish law. Men must be circumcised. There are certain dietary laws that needed to be followed, certain days that needed to be observed, all as shorthand for obeying the law of Moses in order to be saved. Now, up to this point in the, in the letter, all of chapter 1, this first part of chapter 2, and even in the rest of chapter 2, Paul is devoting time to legitimizing the gospel that he preached to them. He has reminded them in verses 1 through 10 of chapter 1 that he wasn't commissioned by anyone. No one sent Paul to them. God commissioned Paul. 
and God sent him to them. And then in verses 11 through 24 of chapter 1, he's saying to them, no one gave me this gospel that I've been proclaiming to you. I didn't learn it from anyone else. God gave me this gospel that I am proclaiming to you. But then in our passage this morning, in verses 1 through 10 of chapter 2, he's saying to them that the Jerusalem apostles, and I'll unpack in a minute a little bit who they are, but the Jerusalem apostles, they actually have reviewed my gospel, and they have confirmed that it is the one true gospel, the gospel that they have been proclaiming as well. So Paul's going to great lengths to legitimize his gospel, to make sure that the Galatian Christians understand you heard the one true gospel. What the false teachers have been proclaiming is no gospel at all. Now, why? Why is Paul going to such great pains to defend the, 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 the legitimacy, those words didn't exactly roll off my tongue, of his gospel? And the answer, of course, is because it is the only hope for salvation. These Christians to whom Paul had written had believed that gospel, but they were now turning away from it. They were being led astray to their own peril, potentially, by these false teachers. They were forgetting the good news of the gospel. They were failing to call it to mind in the face of this false teaching. They were succumbing, or at least in danger of succumbing to spiritual slavery. Their freedom in Christ was on the line. We easily succumb as well. We can be duped by false teachers. We always need to be on guard against false teaching. However, we also can be deceived in our own hearts. There are any number of ways that we want to add to the finished work of Christ and think that there are things we need to do in order to be saved. Any number of ways in which we can forget the one true gospel. Now, you may say, Mark, I, don't, I haven't forgotten it. I could tell you the gospel right now. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about failing to call the gospel to mind when, when life gets hard, when temptation is strong, when the pressure's on, then we forget the gospel. And Paul is telling us in this passage, in this letter as a whole, when that happens in those moments, it's the difference between enjoying the freedom that we have in Christ and living as though we were still slaves to sin. Freedom is on the line when it comes to remembering the one true gospel. So there's two things I want us to look at this morning from this passage. First, I want us to consider how we must fight for gospel clarity. Paul fights for gospel clarity. We too must fight for gospel clarity. And then secondly, I think this passage invites us to enjoy what I'm going to call, and I know it's too cute by half, but what I'm going to call the gospel doneness, to enjoy the freedom of gospel doneness. That's what Paul's inviting us to in this passage. So let's jump in. First, the fight for gospel clarity. Paul is fighting for gospel clarity. Let's, let's give a little bit more of the historical context that is unpacked 
uh, in these verses. So um, Paul says in chapter 2, verse 1, after 14 years, he went up again to Jerusalem. So let's just kind of unpack that, that phrase, and get a sense of what's been going on historically. Now, why Jerusalem? I mentioned in the, uh, in the introduction, I was going to give a little bit of a background on that. Why Jerusalem? Well, remember, it was in Jerusalem that the uh, apostles were located after, um, after Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection, ascension. ascension. Um, they're there. And Jesus ascends, Pentecost happens, the Holy Spirit's poured out. Peter preaches that great sermon on Pentecost. Thousands of Jews believe are converted to Christianity. And, and, and the church is growing there in Jerusalem. So that, you know, very familiar passage in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 and following, where it talks about how the church was together, having all things in common, being devoted to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread. That's describing the church in Jerusalem. That's what was happening. Luke's talking about that when he writes that in Acts. Now, remember Paul's conversion. Paul, he, he writes about it in uh, chapter 1, verses 15 and following, but uh, 14, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age, verse 15, but when, when he who had set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me. That's talking about the conversion of Paul on the road to Damascus. So Paul was in Jerusalem. He was a Pharisee. He was zealous when it came to persecuting the church. When the persecution of those early Christians, those Jewish converts to Christianity, was beginning to take place in Jerusalem, and those Christians were beginning to flee to places like Antioch, Paul, in his zeal, went after them. On the road to Damascus, you remember, you read about in Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 22, Paul was met by Jesus, knocked off his horse, <laughs> right? And, and believed. The gospel was revealed to him in that moment. Of course, he went on, and, uh, and then, he, in fact, he tells us in, in, back in chapter 1 uh, that he did not at that point go to Jerusalem, but went away into Arabia, returned again to Damascus. And then verse 18 of chapter 1, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. So that was, that's his first visit to Jerusalem. Three years after his conversion, his experience on the road to Damascus, then Paul went to Jerusalem. And it wasn't like this big meeting. It was just him meeting with Cephas. Cephas is Paul. I visited with Cephas, I remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And then he said he went into the regions of Syria, Cilicia, etc. Now we're, now we're caught up to chapter 2, verse 1. Then after 14 years, that is 14 years from his conversion, 14 years from what happened on the road to Damascus, I went up to Jerusalem a second time. But this time he went with Barnabas, who was Jewish, and Titus, who was a Greek. Titus, who was a convert to Christianity, part of the fruit of Paul's missionary work. So there he is. Now he's in Jerusalem for his second visit, 14, after, 14 years after his conversion. He went, the text tells us, as a result of a revelation. Verse 2, chapter 2, I went up because of a revelation and set before them, though privately before those who seemed influential, so that would prove to be Cephas or Peter, James and John, 
the gospel that he had been proclaiming. So God said in a revelation to Paul, Paul, I want you to go back to Jerusalem for a second time. And what Paul sought there was confirmation from them. Not because he doubted it. He'd been preaching it for 14 years. He wanted to be able to present his gospel to them so that he could confirm, they could confirm, yeah, that's the same gospel we're preaching. That was important because right there in Jerusalem, Paul tells us that false brothers had snuck in in order to slip in despite our freedom that we have in Christ. That's in verse 4. So you get the picture. There's Paul, Barnabas, and Titus. Paul's there with Cephas and some of the others. Again, it's not this huge apostolic gathering. It's, it's not the council that you see in Acts chapter 15. This is just Paul with the influential ones, kind of the, the, the head, the, the big three of the apostolic band that were there in Jerusalem. Paul's presenting his gospel to them, but at the same time, these false brothers, these Judaizers, the same ones that were coming into the, would come into Galatia and say, you need to add things to Jesus in order to be saved, they're sneaking in amongst the, the apostles in Jerusalem while Paul's there trying to undermine his gospel. The stakes were high. The stakes were high. Nothing less than the truth of the gospel and the unity of the church was at stake in this meeting that took place that we read about in chapter 2 of Galatians. David Reynolds wrote a book titled Summits. And in the book, he outlined six meetings that shaped history in the 20th century. He referred to Neville Chamberlain's, uh, Neville Chamberlain's uh, meetings with Hitler in 1938, uh, you know, Chamberlain was desperate for peace, couldn't really see Hitler for who Hitler was, and, and Poland was invaded a year later. Uh, he points to the Yalta Conference that took place in February of 1945. Churchill, Roosevelt, Stalin, Churchill and Roosevelt kind of go on a charm offensive with Stalin, and Stalin ends up getting Poland after World War II. He spoke of the Vienna summit between Kennedy and Khrushchev in 1961. Kennedy came ill-prepared by all accounts. Khrushchev's assessment of Kennedy is that this president is weak, and so he started construction on the Berlin Wall. And, you know, uh, Reynolds gives other examples of meetings that positively shaped history. But the point is, no meeting has shaped history history in that age or any age to come more so than this meeting between Paul and the apostles. We would not be here if this meeting did not go the way that it went. We wouldn't. If Paul's gospel had been delegitimized, there would be no salvation by grace through faith in Christ alone. The gospel is at stake. What if the Jerusalem apostles had listened to the Judaizers? The gospel would be lost. The unity of the church had been, was at stake. It's, it's really significant that Titus was not compelled to be circumcised. You, know, you read that in the passage and you're like, okay, wow. What? The whole point was, would the Jerusalem apostles, Jewish men, followers of Christ converted to Christianity, but because they were Jewish, circumcised, would they say, you know, we can't accept Titus as he is? 
If he's going to be here with us, he has to be circumcised as well. So much was at stake. Well, you know the rest of the story because you just heard me read it, and we're all here. They didn't add anything to Paul's gospel. Paul tells us that in chapter 2, verse 6. Chapter 2, verse 3, they did not require Titus to be circumcised. Chapter 2, verse 9, they gave Paul the right hand of fellowship, which is a way of saying we are on the same page. We're both working together in the same direction. There is one gospel. Peter was predominantly taking that one gospel to the circumcised, to the Jews. Paul was predominantly taking that one gospel to the Gentiles. But this one gospel was going to go out to the ends of the earth. Paul fought for gospel clarity, and he won. (laughs) We need to fight for gospel clarity. We need to make sure that we are clear on the gospel. How do we fight for it? Know it. (laughs) We, We begin by knowing it. I love this quote from Martin Luther. You've heard me say it before. Don't be offended because this is just as true of me as it is of anyone else. Luther, this truth of the gospel is the principal article of all Christian doctrine. Most necessary is it that we know this article well, teach it to others, and beat it into their heads continually. I need to have the gospel beat into my head continually because I so easily forget But Luther's right. This is the principal article of all Christian doctrine. Christianity rises or falls on the clarity of the gospel message. Where do we grow in our knowledge of the gospel? By knowing his word. I think of um, Antiques Roadshow, right? I I think that's, is that in syndication yet? Maybe it's still on, I don't know. Antiques Roadshow, right? It's, it's so much fun to see, you know, this guy, for instance, you know, Joe from Des Moines. Let's call him Joe for Des Moines. You know, he's got, he's got this bowl that's been laying around the house. He throws his keys in it every day. He decides one day, hey, I'm going to, Antiques Roadshow's coming through town. That bowl looks like it might be worth something. And he finds out it's like worth $2.7 million. It was just laying around the house. Listen, we've got something of infinite value, LifeWay uh, Research had a recent uh, survey in which they discovered that the average Christian has 3.6 Bibles just laying around the house. And if you've got an electronic device, you've got access to, you know, 30, 40 more or more translations of the Bible, let alone access to the original languages, you know, if you wanted to go that deep. We have so much Let's not leave it laying around. Let's pick it up. Read. Meditate. Know. And in so doing, be equipped to fight for clarity when it comes to the gospel. But then second, we need to make sure that we don't miss the freedom of gospel doneness. The freedom of gospel doneness. The the difference between Paul's gospel and And the gospel, quote-unquote, of the false teachers, which was no gospel at all, is the difference between do and done. It's the difference between do and done. The different gospel that they were turning to, which Paul says again in chapter 1, verse 6, is no gospel at all. That gospel, 
was all about do. There's more that you need to do in order to be saved. Faith in Christ is not enough. Now, it's very, we had a great discussion in our Sunday school class last week. Aren't there things that we're supposed to do as Christians? Aren't we supposed to obey God's law? Yes. Don't miss what I'm saying. The gospel is Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. The Judaizers are saying you have to do things in order to be saved. It's the difference between what, a, what, what Rich Kennedy in growth, our growth group a couple weeks ago said. It's the difference between responsive obedience and what could be called acquisitional obedience. I respond to God's grace by obeying him, by walking in his ways. Because in that, I find what it is to actually be human and flourish. He's the creator. I'm the creature. He designed me to flourish, walking according to his will. But that's responsive obedience. The Judaizers are saying, no, you need to obey in order to acquire salvation. That's the difference between life and death. That's the difference between freedom and slavery. So, the, the Judaizers, the false teachers, their, their message was a message of do. Paul's gospel, the one true gospel, is the gospel of done. He's been saying that all throughout Galatians so far. Back in chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. That's done. It's past tense. When it came to Paul's own testimony, which you can go back and read in uh, chapter 1, it was God who set him apart, uh, apart before he was born. Done. It was God who called him by his grace. Done. It was God who revealed his son to him. Past tense. Done. Paul's message to the church, by the time we get to Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, it was for freedom that Christ has set you free, not will. Done, 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 and done is the gospel that Paul proclaims. There's nothing more to add. I love that uh, hymn by Isaac, uh, by Newton, I'm sorry. Lay your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Rest in him and him alone, gloriously complete. The stakes are high between do and done. It is the difference between freedom and slavery. There are any number of ways we add do to that which is done. It can be very legalistic ways when it comes to our, um, you know, fastidious observance of the very things that are intended to give us life. But when we make them a means of salvation, actually become bondage to us. If I go to church every week, I'll be saved. That's slavery. If I go to church every week, I will enjoy more and more what it means to be a child of God. <laughs> Freedom. World of difference. Freedom. It's freedom that we've been set free to enjoy. And any of the dues that we add to done all involve a loss of freedom. What is freedom? What does the freedom of gospel doneness look like? We see glimpses of it, glimpses of it in the text before us in chapter 2. When Paul says in chapter 2, verse 6, 
It's parenthetical, right, in, your, in our English translations. Uh, chapter 2, verse 6, And from those who seem to be influential, what they were makes no difference to me. God shows no partiality. You see what's happening there? There is a freedom from fear of man. There's a freedom from living for the approval of others. Paul can say of Peter, James, and John, God shows no partiality. There's freedom. There's freedom when it comes to the way in which we think about our relationships with other people. There's freedom when it comes to being generous. Chapter 2, verse 10, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. He's, re- he's referring to the poor in Judea. There was a famine in that area. Christians, well, not just Christians, many people, but Christians in particular were suffering. They were impoverished. Paul, as you may remember, on subsequent missionary journeys, will be collecting an offering to take with him on what will be his third missionary, uh, third trip to um, uh, Jerusalem, which you read about in Acts. He's eager to remember the poor. He's eager to be generous with them. There's a freedom to be generous that comes with gospel doneness. He's going to tell us in Galatians 5, it looks like the freedom of walking by the Spirit. It's just a freedom that is ours to enjoy if we'll have it. What's the key to maintaining our freedom? It's knowing the gospel, but it's also remembering it. It's calling it to mind. That's not just the pattern that you see in Paul. Paul in in Romans chapter 6 says this, you died with Christ, you were buried with him, you're dead to sin. Past tense. Now, in light of that, reckon yourselves dead to sin. As you go about your daily life, as you deal with sin every day, and the temptation that you feel every day, there's a reckoning that has to be going on, a remembering of what's done. In a way, that's the same message that's woven all throughout Scripture. I think of Lamentations chapter 3. This I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. He's reflecting on something that has been revealed to be true in the moment of crisis or in the moment of need. Remembering the gospel. Knowing the gospel, fighting for clarity when it comes to the gospel, and then remembering it in the moment of temptation, in the moment of crisis, in the moment of need, that in those moments, we might enjoy the freedom of gospel doneness. Are you enjoying the freedom of gospel doneness? Imagine what your life would be like if you were. Just imagine that for a second. Go deeper into Christ, deeper into this glorious gospel, and you will taste more of the freedom that Jesus Christ has, past tense, purchased for you to enjoy now. 
Can you imagine a community of people who together are enjoying the freedom of gospel doneness? What would it be like if together we were enjoying this freedom that we have in Christ? That is just one more way of describing that shared experience of God's grace that is gospel culture. Paul writes, God has preserved this book of the Bible so we would know the freedom of gospel culture. He's given us his spirit that we might know the freedom of the gospel. Let's devote the rest of our lives together to growing in it. Let's all go deeper into Jesus so we can go wider for him in our love for one another and for the world. Let's pray. Father, again, we do thank you for this, for this, your word. We thank you for Paul's insistence on fighting for gospel clarity. He understood what was at stake. Lord, we thank you that the one true gospel was upheld. We thank you that that message has been passed down and we have it preserved for us. Or for those who are in the room right now who name you as their Savior, it has been because by your grace and grace alone, you have given us faith to believe and embrace this one true gospel. Lord, we so often lose that joy that we first experienced when we believed it. That's not because of any deficiency in you. It's because we so easily forget. Lord, would you help us to be people who are committed to knowing the word, knowing the truth that you have preserved for us, knowing the gospel, and then would you help us to call it to mind, to remember it when life gets hard, to remember it not only when we're tempted, but when we have succumbed to temptation, to remember that in you we are accepted that your righteousness, Lord Jesus, is our righteousness and you will return one day for us. Until then, we stand in you gloriously complete with the promise that we just sang earlier this morning that you, Lord Jesus, will hold us fast. We're so thankful. We're so thankful. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.